0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. We are going to read one of these really old Bible stories together, The, the parable of the of the prodigal son or the lost son. Very well-known story, but we mustn't assume familiarity too much, so we're going to read it. And uh, then, we'll, then we'll chat about it a little bit. Verse 11 of Luke 15. Everyone with me? Say aye. Amen. Anyone not with me? Say oh. Verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Everyone say them. He divided it between them. Not just him, but them, the two sons. We'll come back to that in a bit. Not long after that, the younger son got together. He got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You'll know, won't you, that a a Jewish boy doesn't really get on with pigs. It's Not a great job to have. It's not a great job for anyone to have, but particularly in this Jewish context. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and so they began to celebrate. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because... He has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. This is a, such a well-known story. Sometimes it's hard to think, can you draw anything new or different from it? But I'm going to try a little bit today. I think one of the, one of the misconceptions about this very famous story is that it's about a lost son. And it isn't. It's about two lost sons. Because in both uh, cases, these young men were not in their father's house. One of them was out squandering property and living it up. But the other uh, was also the, the older brother. He was also not in the father's house. He was out in the field and had to be pleaded with to come back inside. And so I want to talk today about these two young men because so many of the qualities that they exhibit can be found, of course, in all of us, in me, in you, from time to time. And I think we're supposed to not model ourselves on these men. I think we're supposed to model ourselves on the father in the story rather than these two young men. And so I've just drawn out four simple things that I think uh, we see in in this story, things that we're, I think, supposed to try to avoid. Number one, the younger son, the prodigal son, thought himself to be wiser than his father. That's the first thing. Now, if you are a father or a mother, this won't be any great surprise to you. Because uh, younger people, of course, uh, generally see themselves as having superior wisdom to those who are older than them. Uh, Older people think about the whole picture. Younger people just think about what's in front of them now. And before we get too cross with them, I think it's something to do with the development of the brain. And uh, So there's not much we're going to be able to really do about this. This problem is here to stay. But clearly, this is a... This is a religious story. It's a spiritual story uh, rather than just being you know, a little bit of uh, a, a sort of a soap opera about uh, you know, a father and a son. And so we're supposed to draw spiritual truth from it. And I think there's a strong spiritual truth that so often we see ourselves as being smarter than not just our, perhaps our earthly father, but also our heavenly father. Now, of course, no one would say this. No one would come to the front and say uh, this morning, well, I believe myself to be wiser than God. If you would say that, uh, you would probably be in, in, in a minority here. But, but in fact, what we have to ask ourselves is, in the actions of our lives, do we live like that? Do we live like that in the actions of our lives? This young man enjoyed the father, but he thought to himself, I want control of all that's going on here. He wanted control of the inheritance. And in fact, he was rather rude, wasn't he? Uh, by asking his father for the inheritance early, he was sort of wishing his father dead. It's a little bit of a rude thing to do. I, I've got friends who, uh, 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 it's a sort of um, friends of the family. And uh, these go back into my uh, Devon days. And all they would do all the time is discuss what they were going to do with mother's money. Now, uh, mother would quite often be in the room with them at the same time. And I used to think, uh, perhaps this isn't a conversation, first of all, to be had at all, but certainly not while mother is in the room. And so they're sitting there going, yeah, well, you know, uh, perhaps mother, you should, uh, perhaps you should save more money, you know, because they're thinking about having it when she's gone. They were sort of wishing her life away, weren't they? I mean, I want you to love me more than you love my CD collection. You know what I'm saying? I know that. I don't want you coming up to me going, now, uh, "Would it be possible if you if you should pass away? Uh, can I can I have your Blu-ray player? I might I might be offended by that." <laughs> yes, you can have it, but not till I'm gone. Amen. <laughs> so this poor man is uh, really they're saying to him, "We we really wish that you were." We really wish that you were dead. We want control uh, of everything that you have given us. And I want to suggest to you that that is the problem in the whole world today. That is, in a nutshell, the problem in the world today. There are lots of other problems. There's horses in your burgers. There's uh, There's all sorts of other problems going on. All sorts of other problems going on. But the fundamental problem, the one, if you were going to narrow it down, what is the problem in the world? The problem in the world is this. The people think they're smarter than their father. They live their lives free of his control. And uh, I want to encourage you uh, this morning, those here in the room and those listening on the internet, don't live like that. It's not a good idea to have a different opinion to God. It's not a good idea to say, well, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to do this. Uh, You know, the, the Bible is the instruction manual for life. And so we need to be the kind of people who read the instructions. I know we're not very good at this, are we? We're very good at clicking on terms and conditions that we haven't read. Is that true? Only last night I was updating a computer and it said, do you agree with the terms and conditions? Of course I do. (laughs) Have I got a clue what any of them are? Of course I haven't. Some terms and conditions are 20,000 words long. It's longer than a master's dissertation. But we need to be people who read the manual. And we need to be people who put the life manual Into practice. Don't you know the Bible is an acronym? B I B L E. Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And uh, you know, there's an old joke, isn't there, about particularly men don't like to read instructions. Is that true, ladies? Have you found that to be true? I heard that um, if you want to hide something from your husband and uh, you want to put it on, on your computer in a folder marked Instructions. And he will never open that folder. Your your secret will be safe. Now, people don't like to read instructions. If you're anything like me, uh, I I don't know how. I just want to know. I I just want to get on with it and use the product. But, uh, But we need to be people who know the manual and live out the manual. It's not a good idea to think of ourselves as being smarter than our father. We're not. So if the Bible says we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't lie. If the Bible says we shouldn't lust, then we shouldn't lust. These things are for our good. The second thing that I notice from the story, and maybe this is really more relevant than ever today. We learn that this younger brother, he found being forgiven very, very difficult. You know the story, he's there among the pigs and he's hungry and he wants to, you know, eat what they're eating. I've, I've never done that, by the way. The, only, the, the, the closest I've ever had to that was when I was um, uh, looking after a friend's cats when I used to work in the caves in Torquay. And he said, I'm going away for a, for a few days, will you, will you look after my cats? They need feeding." Well, I didn't really like cats, but I thought, well, I'll go around and do it. And, uh, but at the time, I was uh, on a giant fast, and I just remember a moment as I was pouring out this cat food, thinking, well, it smells kind of tunery, you know? It's but this poor lad, he was, he was having to, you know, trying to eat the food that the animals were, were eating, and he thinks to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and I'm, going to, I'm not going back as a son. I'm going back as a servant. I'm going back as a, as a hired servant. That's right, isn't it? That's what he says. I'll go back to my father and say, I've sinned against heaven, against you. Make me like one of your hired servants. In other words, he didn't want to come back on the same terms that he had left. Listen to me really carefully. I think there are many Christians who live exactly like that. The idea that God might be capable of amazing grace has not quite sunk in to a person's heart. The idea that God might not require anything from you somehow doesn't work with, our, with the religious bit inside our lives. This young man said, I'll, I will go back into the father's house, but I absolutely insist on being on probation. I absolutely insist on being punished. In other words, somehow I'll go back into the father's house, but I've got to make it up to my dad. Yes? And I think that this is actually a really common scenario in many, many believers who accept Jesus as their saviour become part of the church, but when they think about what they've done in the past, and either that's the past years or even the past week, or even the past day, whatever it might be, there's a sense in which, Lord, will you receive me? I understand I have to be on probation, but will you please receive me as one of the lower caste Of this Christian community. I think we see the same kind of scenario. In the parable that um, I preached on a couple of weeks ago. Of the unmerciful servant. Where when discovered to be hugely in debt. They fall to their knees. Both of the people in debt in the story. And they say this. Be patient with me. And I will pay you And I want to say, I believe that many Christians have a Christianity that's a bit like that. Come on, listen to me today. Be patient with me, Lord, and I will pay you back. Hear the word of the Lord today. God's not interested in being paid back. He has paid the debt for you. There is such a thing as amazing grace. You don't have to be on probation with god the only thing that god wants with us is relationship he doesn't want us back as slaves or back as hired hands he wants us back as sons in the jewish context and in of course today's context sons and daughters i wonder if your christianity is a bit like this lord i've really messed up but i'm going to be better Lord, I'm going to do this and this and this for you. I'm going to make it up to you. Be patient with me, Lord. And I will pay you back. My friend, if, that is your, if that's how you feel, I want to commend you for having a soft conscience. But I want to I wanna reproof you for having bad theology because that's not what God's like at all. That's not God. God Offers us amazing grace. Justified before him. In the preacher's language, just as if I'd never sinned. I don't know where your relationship with God is at. But these are not the terms that God wants with you. He, he, doesn't, want, he doesn't want you on probation. He wants you as his son and daughter in the house. He doesn't want you as a hired hand, paying God back, refusing refusing to uh, accept sonship, rather feeling more comfortable with punishment and probation. No, that's not what God wants. I think it's going to be a common problem uh, in the church. Number three, thinking now about this elder brother The elder brother is a really interesting character because, as I said earlier, he's sort of lost as well. And there's a reason uh, why this character appears in the story. It's not not an incidental character. It's an important character. It takes up a lot of the story, a lot of the narrative. The elder brother is, uh, I think, we're supposed to see that he is a bit like a Pharisee of the day. You know that the, Jesus was mingling with the tax collectors and sinners and the prostitutes and people like this. And the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were there, oh, what are you doing with these unclean people? And that's a, I'm sure the elder brother is supposed to represent a bit of that. The character that says what's going on, what's this music, what's this dancing, this son of yours just walks back in here. He wants his brother on probation for sure, you see. He wants him punished for sure. But what's really interesting is that when the father divided his inheritance, we we did note it, he divided it among them. And in the Jewish t- tradition, the firstborn received the double portion, i.e. if you had two sons and you had an inheritance, you didn't divide it into two. Now, praise God, we don't have this today because I wasn't the firstborn, but in those days, that's what you did. Uh, otherwise, my brother Simon would be, woohoo, I'm, I'm not telling him about this bit in the Bible, all right? <laughs> I'm a Gentile, not a Jew, can you say Amen. Yeah, we get half and half. That's how it works. But in those days, in the Jewish context, they would divide it into three, and so the first born got the double portion. But that's what Elisha means when he runs after Elijah. I want a double portion. He's not asking for double power. He's saying, I want to inherit your ministry. I want to be the primary inheritor of your anointing. It's not a double portion, as in a double, you know, dose or double empowerment. He's saying, I want to be your son. I want to be your firstborn son. That's what Elisha is really saying to Elijah there. But here's what's really interesting. That means the father divided everything among them. Everything. So when the father killed the fattened calf, whose calf was it? It was the brother's calf. Now you understand why he was a bit cheesed off with it. That's my calf that you've killed for him. I was going to sell that calf to Findus. What can I get? Oh, I suppose I've got a horse I can give him now for their lasagnas. I promised that calf to Tesco's. I'm going to have to give him the horse now. It goes way back. Are we really surprised this horse meat and burgers? I wouldn't be surprised if there were jockeys in burgers. (laughs) Really. The father killed the fattened calf for the lost son. But he killed the brother's calf for for the lost son. And I think as churches grow, this is a huge spiritual dynamic. Because what the leaders want to do is they want to kill the fattened calf as much as possible that sometimes the people in the church believe belongs to them. What are you doing killing my calf? Uh, This doesn't happen in this church, thankfully. But a friend of mine, he, he spoke to me a little while ago. He said, I said, he, he's a pastor. I said, how, is, how did church go Sunday? He said, oh, it's terrible. I said, oh, dear. Why? He said, well, we had these wonderful new people in. And some people came in and came up to them and said, excuse me, we normally sit here. I said, oh, oh dear, sorry. Well, will you move, please? And they had to move. They had to move. said, like, this is our calf. This is our cow. Meanwhile, the pastor, he wanted to kill the cows and give them to the lost. Do you understand? As churches grow, all sorts of things happen. All sorts of things happen. There's nowhere to park. Guests will come and park where you normally park. What's going on here? I wasn't expecting this. This is my calf, you know. This is, my, this is my parking space. I've been parking here since 1952. Well, it's about time you stop parking there then. Let someone else park there. Well, this is my chair. Well, what's going on with all, the, all these new people? Coming? I, I'm telling you today, in just a very short time, the population of this church will grow and grow and grow All sorts of new people will be here. And I just warn you now that me and you, we're going to lose our calf. The father is going to kill it. And if we are true sons of the house, we will join in with the singing and the celebration. But if deep inside we're Pharisees, we'll end up in the field going, what's going on now? Who are all these people? What's going on? As churches get bigger and bigger and bigger, because relationships are stretched. Sometimes people come to a very small church where they have a massive relationship, maybe with the pastor or the, you know, the leadership team. In a bigger church, that's not so much a possibility. And this young man, I put it here on the screen, he resented change, cost and compassion. These are the things he didn't like. He didn't like change. He didn't like cost, it was his calf, and he didn't, agree with, he didn't agree with amazing grace. He didn't think that this young man should just swan back in. He thought he should be put on probation. But unfortunately, all of the, these are the three qualities that are necessary to welcome a prodigal home. We need to be happy with change. We have to be happy with cost. And we must be compassionate. As God begins to move, all sorts of people will find themselves here, being touched here. You might end up in a queue for the loo. Well, it wasn't. I prefer the old days. No, that's true. Probably none of us preferred the old days. Well, what's coming? I had to wait 10 minutes to get, my, to get my cappuccino. I used to be able to get it quickly, but now there's all these people here. Listen, let me tell you, please don't go out in the field. Don't behave like that elder brother, because change is coming. Constant change is here to stay, somebody said. And we need to be like the father, not like the brother. The father is looking for this young man to come home, isn't he? The father runs to meet him. That's a very unusual thing for a Jewish dad to do. You remember what they wear? He wasn't in a tracksuit, you know, right? He's in a little skirt number. So he he had to hoist and it's not the most dignified thing to do. But the father ran when he saw that young man come and showered him with amazing grace. We've got to be the same as that. I've, I'll finish just with this thought here. Uh, these young men, they uh, they didn't share their father's heart. Can you just bring this on to the back here? I'm just losing the There it is. They didn't share their... Their father's heart. They shared his name. They were in his family. They shared his blood. But they didn't share his heart. And the father wants us to share his heart. Not just his name. It's not enough for just to to call ourselves Christians. We have to have the heart of Christ. When you have the heart of Christ. You see a prodigal come home. You don't want to put them on probation. You don't want to resent them. You don't want to resent that things have changed. You say, come on, let's have a party. Music, dancing. That's what we need as we celebrate this truth. All these years, he said, I've been slaving for you. All these years I've been obeying your orders. This isn't the relationship that God wants with us. We are sons. He says, everything I have is yours. And I am always with you. I want to ask you, as we finish this morning, which of these characters do you think is most like you? Essentially, there are three characters, aren't there, in the story. Just three. Three characters. One is the father, who's full of compassion. He doesn't care what mess there is. When he threw his arms around that young man, we don't know quite how, what his body odor situation was like. We don't know what a mess it was, but it didn't bother the father who threw his arms around him. We get a hint that he doesn't look too good because the father instantly orders a new wardrobe, yes? Are we like that? Full of amazing grace. Or are we a little more like the original prodigal son? I, I do my own thing, you know. I know the Bible says this, but, I, but I'm going to do this. I know that I should do this, but in fact, I'm going I'm to live like this. I, I'm going to show myself to think that I'm smarter than God. Believe me, there's no one here smarter than God. Or are we sometimes like that elder brother? Not happy with change, not happy with cost. A little uncomfortable with compassion that doesn't involve probation. In the next few weeks and months. God the Holy Spirit will send all sorts of people into this place. Let us pray. That they meet the father before they meet the brother. Let us pray that they meet the father. Before they meet the brother. Let me finish just with this thought. Aren't you glad. When that son came over the hill and began to come home, aren't you glad that the elder brother wasn't the doorman? Aren't you glad that the elder brother wasn't in the car park or, or in the, or in the lounge? To say what do you think you're doing? Thank God the father met him. And friends, in these next months that lie ahead, we must have the Father's heart. We must have his heart. Because a whole load of new faces are going to populate this room upstairs and down. And there's no room for an elder brother among us. The Lord is good.